Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone. You know what this month is? It is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. What a great month. It's all about employment with me. As you all know, I'm a woman living with epilepsy. I started Bender Consulting Services in 1995 and ever since have been on a crusade to find employment for people with disabilities. The fact that 70% of people with disabilities are not even counted in the workforce today is absolutely shameful in all ways. And that's why on this radio show, this is my commitment that we will always talk about quality of life for Americans living with disabilities. And with that, a few things. First, thank you, thank you, thank you to our lead sponsor, Highmark. Just such a great company with a great CEO, David Holmberg, one of the largest healthcare uh, systems in the United States. Thank you so much. Also, over the past year, AudioEye and Covestro have also been sponsors, and I thank both of you. And a special shout out to Yoshiko Dart, my good friend and leader of Disability Rights in America. And here we go. Oh, my goodness. My friends overseas that listen to this show. Ireland, where are you? Ireland, you are so awesome with all the people that listen to this show. As you are in Japan and the United Kingdom. Oh, my goodness. I can't thank you enough. Listen, you spread the word to other people in your country to listen to this show um, and because, as I said, it's all about spreading news so that more people can know about the great work we do in the United States. And with that, I'm going to introduce our guest today, Michael Callbearer, who is an instructor at Hofstra University, but more important, importantly, speaks nationally about people with disabilities, quality of life. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Uh, Michael, let's start by talking about you. You know, a lot of people have a disability, but not everyone decides to become an advocate. So, what caused you to decide? Uh, Life circumstances, really. My advocacy career began in school when teachers brilliant teachers at my high school um, allowed me to engage in leadership positions both inside and outside of the classroom and it really came out of necessity because necessity is the mother of, mother of invention. Uh, my first advocacy experiences were when I was trying to receive speech and language pathology services from my school and get my district to pay for them. Um, personnel within that district thought that my speech was fine um, from an intelligibility and clarity standpoint, but I wanted it to be able to control the involuntary reflexes and spasms associated with CP because I know I knew that speaking was going to be part of my career. 
And this is what made you decide to become an advocate. This is what made me decide to become an advocate. And the advocacy, my advocacy efforts have continued um, throughout my life. Um, they've led me to work with personnel uh, in Columbia University Medical Center and various eye doctors offices and medical personnel offices in my community um, to enhance the communicative experiences of people with disabilities of all types who receive health care services. Um, and I, that's awesome. As you well know, there are people, though, who cannot communicate but use augmentative communication to speak. And I, encur- and I encourage people, whatever means you have, use that means. Is that what you think? Do you tell people the same thing? Whatever means you have, use that means. Um, if you're deaf and choose to use your voice, your voice is your voice. It deserves to be heard. If you use an augmentative communication device, feel free to use it. Communicate however you can because at least you're communicating for yourself and not having somebody communicate for you. One of the things that I teach office staff and people pursuing careers in healthcare or helping professions, as I call them, those of us with professional licenses, is to communicate directly with the person and view the disability or limitation from a position of strength. Um, when I have friends who use augmentative communication devices, it is very important to me to listen to them communicate before I jump in and interrupt them. The communication practices should be the same for somebody regardless of how they communicate. And taking the time to listen actively and attentively is part of communication that we can all benefit from. Yes, I agree. That's great advice you give, Michael. So, Michael, when you grew up, uh, as you well know, Many children with disabilities face different uh, barriers or situations when they're growing up. What about you? What, what obstacles did you encounter as a young child living with a disability? My childhood was very conventional to avoid using the word normal. Um, I come from a very supportive family um, and have many, many friends. And as a child... My older brother and cousins were very, very strong influences on me. Whatever they did, I found a way to do. Um, My biggest obstacle as a child was having to go to physical therapy and different types of therapy after school and having a longer school day than most because of that. But my overall childhood experience was awesome. Um, I played in integrated sports. Um, I was able to communicate with both able-bodied and um, peers with disabilities and become part of a team. And the athlete's mentality is kind of something that I've carried throughout my life. I'm a natural competitor. Um, People have called me a natural leader. And I think that goes back to the advocacy, advocacy question you asked before. Um, But my childhood was very routine until around puberty in 1994, where I had a major surgery, and that set it back a little bit. 
Um, but I was able to overcome that surgery, and the surgery is the reason why I'm able to sit and speak as well as I do today. Well, and that is that is awesome. I I want to know though, did you ever have to deal with people looking at you? Di- I'm talking about strangers now. People sure. looking at you differently, or pitying you, or did you ever have kids make fun of you? Did you deal with any of this? Sure, all, all the time. Uh, but when people stared, I just knew that they were ignorant, and I uh, was going to show them myself at my best. And some of the biggest. Pro- uh, perpetuates of prejudice are other people with disabilities against ourselves. I was bullied as a kid um, by somebody who is now a friend. Um, I asked school personnel to take care of that. They didn't um, because they were looking for a multitude of explanations for his behavior. And so I told my principal that Next time he bullied me, I was going to take care of it with um, my words and with one act of um, physical aggression, if you will, because he was being very aggressive and using his chair as a weapon. And uh, asked my principal's permission to uh, turn his back and not see the one shot. And as a result of that, the next time he bullied me and I got the shot in, um, we became best friends after that for quite a number of years. Isn't that amazing? Um, but, wow. But people have to know where people are coming from and what is, be, what is behind their behaviors and actions and the thought process. And the thought process behind the young man who was bullying me was anger at his situation and really jealousy with how I handled mine. But as soon as I understood that and was able to talk to him about it, friend to friend and person to person, the bullying stopped and we fostered a friendship. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, and and when, so, when, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish what you're saying. When people, when people stare at me, I just knew that they were ignorant and wanted to either get them to say hello or just let them see me at my best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's good advice for anyone listening right now, now, young people with disabilities are bullied more than any group in America presently. And one thing I tell them, and I want to see what you think about this, I always tell them, don't keep it a secret. You know, tell someone. If it isn't your teacher, tell someone. What, what do you think about that? 1,000% correct, whether you're a person with a disability or not, your humanity matters. And if you allow yourself to be bullied, you are not only allowing the action to continue, but you're subjugating yourself and your own humanity. So whether the bullying is in cyberspace or with physical actions or emotional actions or words, definitely tell somebody as soon as possible. Make sure that it is someone you trust, um, whether it's a family member or school personnel or a friend who may be able to advocate for you. And I hope you'll listen to Michael's advice, which is powerful advice. You are putting your, first of all, as he said, demeaning to you, 
you know, really making you feel as if you don't have a sense of worth or value. But sometimes you're also putting yourself at risk to be really hurt. So um, no matter who it is, you got to tell. And if you say to me, why can't tell my teacher because they won't handle it right and there will be retaliation, I say, okay, tell your principal. And if you can't tell your principal, I say, okay, then tell one of your teachers that you trust. Tell a coach, tell a pastor, tell a rabbi. Of course, tell your family. But don't keep it in. Don't do that. Don't, it will never, ever work. Don't do it. Um, and with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you've just joined us today, we are talking to Mr. Michael Kalbearer from Hofstra University and a national spokesperson. And we're so invited to ha- excited to have him. And we're going to talk more to him in a few minutes. But right now, we're getting ready to go to break. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Podstars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hi, welcome back everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. Today we're talking to Michael Callbearer from Hofstra University and a spokesperson in the country and that works with hospitals, medical groups, anything he can to push the advocacy for people with disabilities. Now, we talked about you as a child. What about now, Michael? What obstacles do you feel you face now? 
the obstacles that I face as an adult are really no different than um, able-bodied, the able-bodied population, um, with the exception of trying to find work um, and having written um, curriculum that is being very, very well received at Hofstra has solved that problem for me. My biggest fears as, a, as an adult are probably um, more exacerbated by my limitations. Um, most, 40, uh, most people approaching 40 uh, are aware of the mortality of their parents and family members and caretakers, but the need for a caretaker um, is much more magnified and significant for somebody with limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. But you, you know, Phil, you face uh, other obstacles such as attitudinal barriers or anything of that nature. Um, I'm not going to say that I don't face social stigma. I just try to transcend it by being who I am and encouraging people to be who they are. Um, one of my biggest uh, strengths in that area is to really find the commonality with the people with whom I interact Mm-hmm. Um, find a common goal and work toward that together. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest way to break down stigma and that barrier is to just um, get them to say hello to you and establish a commonality and go from there, which is uh, very hard to do in a workplace at times, but I'm very thankful to the people at Hofstra, Adelphi, and the other universities that allow me to speak because when I speak, to the to my students and to the audiences who hear me, the stigma associated with my wheelchair and visual impairments goes away, and I'm able to find ways to help them become better equipped for dealing with their careers and dealing with individuals with disabilities with whom they may interact during their careers. Um, right. I've helped pers- perspectives. Go ahead. Special education teachers to. Um, be able to universally design their classrooms. Um, I've taught them how to, or help teach them, how to become better scribes, um, how to better approach a person with a disability that may be sensory, whether it's uh, visual or hearing, or other sensory or speech delays, so that that child or student is not as isolated as they once may have been. Which is awesome. Um, and what is what I love is you're at Hofstra. I love Hofstra University. I do. They've been a great supporter of Bender Consulting Services uh, in the area of the employment of people with disabilities. And now here you are. You're a professor. You're an instructor at the university. Why don't you tell us about that? Tell us about the curriculum. Tell us about your work. Let's hear it. Hofstra has always had a culture of acceptance and an attitude of acceptance toward people with disabilities and all diverse groups. Um, I'm an alumnus of the class of 2001, and my curriculum is designed to help medical professionals, uh, prospective special education majors, uh, those pursuing their master's in public health, and... um, help them become better communicators with people with disabilities of all types. It changes the communication pattern and enhances the the quality of the experience for them as professionals and for us 
which is going to open up a profitable demographic for their business, and I'm able to sell it that way. Um, my curriculum has a practical application component to it where I can teach a special education major about augmentative communication devices, how to administer um, a math test or how to help a sight-impaired person become better able to learn math, for example, um, using tactile things like construction paper instead of drawing diagrams, using licorice or pipe cleaners to, uh, or popsicle sticks to uh, draw a transversal and allow the person with the sight impairment to feel the shape and texture of the shape. Um, medically, I can teach a student how to take blood from me, um, how to communicate with the family member of a person with CP or a verbal difficulty from CP or another disability, whether it's uh, dementia or what have you. Um, so it's really about changing the environment and viewing the person from a perspective of humanity and strength and really just changing how we learn and making that process interactive. Um, and the beauty, sorry, of that, the beauty of that is, the beauty of that is, um, once people with disabilities are served properly and their needs are being met, whether it's through my curriculum or in society, we will come back to you and return to your business or establishment if we know we're being treated properly. Oh, that is so and, true. Uh, I tell that all the time to companies. And yes, we are an underserved resource in corporate America and the business world, but that is partially because of stigma and it's partially because of um, the sense of entitlement that some of us may feel to accommodation. When I speak or lecture, um, my accommodations are provided to me by myself. Hofstra often allows sighted people, my TAs, to um, basically help me moderate the classroom and hand uh, materials out. But that really is the only accommodation I need. And in terms of grading and paperwork and stuff, my TA will, TAs graciously help me do that. And uh, my students are able to just interact with me from the the student perspective and just ask any questions they may have. And my curriculum is designed to have them interact and role play, if you will, situations that they're going to encounter in their careers using me and other people with disabilities as, exam as examples and personifications of that um, and taking ownership of my limitations and turning them into a strength and sharing them with everybody in a way that's productive allows us all to learn. And the joy of that comes from sustainable relationships and what is allowing me to earn a livable wage, pursuing a passion and living a dream by teaching at my alma mater. So. Which is awesome. 
You know, just getting back to a few things that you said, uh, companies today are starting to provide accommodations, but not all. Most buildings really are accessible. That is not the problem, and the accommodations cost is not large. I always tell companies, you have everything here except one thing, people with disabilities working here. But um, I wanted to ask you about something in the medical field. Many of my friends who use chairs, when they go to have, you know, an x-ray or for whatever reason be on a table, have such an ordeal because, you know, there are hospitals that do not have this accommodation. Uh, Or for a woman in a wheelchair that's having uh, a test or a mammogram, whatever it is. Do do you encounter this very often? Um, I have. I know people who have encountered encountered it, but most of my experience, my physicians have. Um, the height adjustable high low tables and they do provide that accommodation for me but I also do have more of an ability to transfer out of my wheelchair than most may um, so yeah that that is a barrier that is an obstacle and the medical profession is working to address that and I applaud people both at Winthrop Hospital particularly and Columbia University Medical Center for providing those accommodations to individuals with disabilities. What I suggest to people is that they that that they say to them, "Hey, you don't have this, we need it." I have had places I told that to and they said, "Oh, thank you so much. You know, we Oh, so terrible. I'm ashamed to admit we haven't thought about this. But I do have many people that run into this. So I'm glad to hear what you said about this hospital. Uh, But I would encourage any healthcare professional listening, any hospital, remember, you have to be accessible for people who use a chair you know, or someone of uh, a little person. I mean, there are several different things that come to mind, but um, I, I hope you'll take all of that into consideration when, whenever you are looking at your whole community. With all of that, we're going to be getting ready to go to break. I hope you have been enjoying this conversation. I know I have with Michael Calder, who is an instructor now at Hofstra University and a person living with disabilities. And we'll be talking about that more when we come back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. 
If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We've been talking to Michael Cowbearer about quality of life, about his work as an advocate. And before we go on, I just want to take a moment to talk about the work, Michael, you're presently doing work with an online marketer and your digital media. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yes. Um, My online marketer and digital media account managers are awesome because they allow me to disseminate my message and basically expand my brand. Um, And when I met Jillian Weston, she was one of the first people to just see me as a professional and not see my limitations. Um, And when she did see them, she saw them as a way to market them. Um, She saw me as marketable. She saw me as viable. And our professional relationship and friendship is going to sustain for life because of that. Um, I was a reluctant consumer of social media because of my limitations and because of my inability to independently access it. Um, But Jillian sat down with me for about an hour after a previous radio appearance that we met each other on and we met and discussed what I wanted to market, and we're doing it to this day. So she's awesome. She's amazing. And for those of you with or without disabilities looking to market yourselves or a skill set that you have using various social media platforms, her company is a great way to do that. And what is her company? It's called Jillian Circus. And how do you spell that? Jillian, like her name, J-I-L-L-I-A-N, circus as in the big top, C-I-R-C-U-S. Dot com? Dot com, yep. Okay. And she's in Oceanside, and I'm actually doing the show directly from our office right now. Well, that's awesome. And her phone number is 516-208-9061. And I'll let her give herself out from um, an initial conversation if she wishes. All right. Hey, that's great. Always like to give someone, uh, any small business person, I'd like to uh, help them out as 
we all should. But I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, you probably had a lot of people impact you in your life in the business world from a professional level. Uh, Has that happened often to you? And if so, how and with whom? Yes. Both positive and negative. Um, Everyone at my respective alma maters who has worked with me um, are awesome. Dr. Karen J. Spencer, President, Hofstra University President, Stuart Rabinowitz, Julie A. Indra, Thomas Ward over at the Center for Career and Professional Development at Adelphi, just to name a few. Um, they've seen me from a position of strength. They recognize my skills and abilities. They recognize my degrees and the marketability that they afford me. Um, and they recognize my greatest skill, which is finding a commonality with people and communicating from a position of strength with them and being an academic, if you will, loving the classroom. It allows me to relate to my students and audiences on a level that remembers very much the stresses that they're under. Um, Time is our most valuable commodity. And time for students is becoming increasingly more valuable and available to them. Our lives go way too fast, and social media and the stresses of tests um, just exacerbate that. So I'm a big believer in rewarding yourself for small accomplishments, whether it's a good grade on a test or completing an assignment, or just having a good day and being a good person. Um, Which, you know, isn't that the truth? Just being a good person. Michael, we talked about stigma and whether or not we want to deal with it, every study done, whether it was from, uh, you know, DePaul, wherever it is, has been about encountering the stigma that does exist toward people with disabilities. I know I just went to uh, Indonesia through the U.S. State Department, and oh my goodness, it's like 100 years back. Uh, It's where people hide their children, and when I was seeing all this, I thought, you know what, this is how it started, and now here we are. We're at the more modern form of stigma. But it's still stigma. So when you're teaching your class, how, how do you uh, how do you educate your students on ending stigma? I educate my students on ending stigma by not perpetuating it myself, by seeing them as human beings, by recognizing their diverse differences and what makes them unique. Um, I tell them to say hello to a person with a disability and approach them just like you would anyone else. Um, I tell them not to be afraid to do the wrong thing because doing nothing is always wrong. Um, And as long as your intentions are good, you're doing the right thing. Um, I teach communicative practices and cultural competencies um, surrounding just that. Um, For example, um, sitting down and getting to the level of a person in a wheelchair physically allows them to open postures, initiate conversations, 
um, telling me where they are in relation to me or just talking as they sit um, or helps me overcome the, the sight impairment, although I can pretty much hear that and pick that up. I'm very well aware of my environment, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, and I make them very well aware of the fact that without being condescending, we all can injure an ankle and need crutches. We all can break a bone and need an assistive device. So being able-bodied is just a temporary condition and doesn't make you or me better or worse than anyone. We're all equal, we're all human, and whatever we can do to portray ourselves from a position of commonality and strength rather than difference and segregation, that's what we should do. So that's what I teach. Yeah, I tell people, yeah, here's a good clue. Treat people with disabilities like people. Like, you know, not like aliens, like people. You you yourself, you live with cerebral palsy, and you're also a person who is blind. Now, you mentioned you work with medical groups or, you know, trying to uh, be an advocate. Do you work with both sides? Do you work with both groups? Sure. I work with individuals with cerebral palsy and their families at the Weinberg Family Cerebral Palsy Center at Columbia University. Um, I'm a member of a family advocacy committee, and I help those individuals and their families who may be aging out of high school or middle school to transition to the next, the next aspect of their lives. And I love that role. Um, I also tutor individuals with cerebral palsy through their respective academic careers. One of my best friends is pursuing a master's degree at Simmons University in Boston via their online program. Um, my assistant account manager herself has mild cerebral palsy, and I really, really have enjoyed bonding and working with her. And I really, really enjoy bonding and working with individuals with CP or whatever disability or just humans as a whole to communicate better and enjoy life. Um, my extent of working with people with blindness ranges both from a medical perspective and a social perspective. I'm very involved with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, which is the leading researcher for the prevention, treatment, and cure of retinal degenerative disease like Leber's congenital amaurosis, the one that I live with, and retinitis pigmentosa as well. Um, it's the, the vision work that we hold and charitable endeavors that I lead are not just about raising money and awareness. It's about coming together as a community and enjoying a hockey game or whatever unites us. Um, and the unity um, is created by a lot more than just sharing the common experience of being blind or having CP or using a wheelchair or having a, a service dog. Um, we're human too. We have the same wants, needs, desires, hopes, and dreams as everybody else. And in that role as a 
team captain and leader with the foundation. I've been able to spearhead efforts that have begun to slowly restore my site through um, stem cell research. I've also, and I'm grateful to everybody at the Foundation Fighting Blindness and Regeneron and the the companies that have funded that. Um, I love the the social aspect of bringing people out of their shells, if you will. We spoke about breaking stigma down a little bit earlier, and part of that is just creating an atmosphere where you are accepted and if you need help because you, you, you can't see or get around as well as somebody who can see, um, I'm able to, to help you. Um, I have sighted guides. Many of my family members and friends are sighted, and I don't differentiate between the quality or intimacy of the friendships based on a limitation at all. Um, my friends with disabilities, I have a special bond with them, but I have a special bond with all of my friends. So it's just a matter of finding the fear that creates the, st the stigma and isolation and breaking it down. Even uh, if it's right. just a person, even if it's just a person's apprehension to tell you what they need, you kind of sit down with them. And I've had many conversations with uh, my sight-impaired friends and friends with disabilities. Hey, bud, just tell me what you need. When we're out socially and drinking an adult beverage or libation, I'll make sure that they don't pick mine up, or and they pick theirs up. Um, if they need description of movies, I get them descriptive video headsets. Um, the gentleman who works with me for my physical needs will will help my friends meet their physical and, and sensory needs as well. I have two gentlemen that work with me for 85 hours a week, um, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and basically help me do things that I cannot physically or visually do. So learning to negotiate my environment with their assistance or the love and support of family and friends has allowed me to be open and accepting of my situation and really create environments where people are comfortable being themselves. And that is what it's all about, being your, and by the way, folks, with JAWS software and other types of assistive technology, uh, you know, I have people in my office who are uh, computer engineers, stars. We found people with these skills for intelligence agencies with assistive technology today. There is just so much for people who are blind to work and to be able to do a job equal to anyone else, just take time to get educated and find out. But right now, we've got to go to break. Before we close the show, we're talking to Michael Calder, instructor at Hofstra University. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be back with Michael to close the show.
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back and happy Halloween. How did I not tell you that at the beginning of the show, especially since I'm sitting here in my costume and emoji and my whole office is decorated and uh, hey, we have pumpkin painting. We have everything. We are all about Halloween and holidays here. And guess what? My engineer Aaron is going to kill me, but I'm telling you right now, he's doing this show while he's wearing Super Mario costume. And that is why I love him so much. Happy Halloween, everyone. Be safe. Kids, be safe. Be safe. Be safe. All right. Well, we are getting ready in a few minutes to close the show with our guest, Michael Callbearer, an instructor from Hofstra University. Before we end the show, a few last questions. Michael, one, you you were on a forum with Peter Jennings. What, what was that like? That was on April 25th, 1992. Um, the forum was designed to end prejudice and stigma, and I was one of six people to answer a question on the show. And the question was, what do I do when people stare at me and what's my reaction to that? And as I've stated earlier, um, my reaction to that was to just know that they're ignorant and um, 
kind of ignore it or if I get a chance to say hello to them, kind of initiate a conversation so they're not as ignorant as they once were. Um, it was a very extensive selection process and looking back at it in hindsight was really the start of my speaking career on WABC uh, television here in New York. And how did um, you like Mr. Jennings? I loved him because he was a hockey fan, and hockey is one of my passions. Um, uh oh. You just made a mistake. Hey, you just made a mistake, Michael. Remember, I'm headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the Stanley Cup. Pittsburgh. That's Pennsylvania. right. Sidney Crosby and the boys. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, uh, we are all about. All about hockey here in Pittsburgh, I'll, I'll, but I guess I guess he is. You two are also. I'll refrain from calling them princess uh, Pittsburgh Penguins fans, so I don't get any hate uh, emails. But uh, yeah, you know, you know, you know. Wait, you know what our answer is? We <laughs> yeah. have them, and you don't. That's I tell exactly her, why right. don't they I... like him? It's because we have them, and you don't. I just want to tell you something about him. When he won, when we won the Stanley Cup, the next day, he went, there's an area in Pittsburgh called Swickley where he lives. He went to all these stores he frequents. I'm, t- I'm including like drug stores, et cetera, and walked in with that Stanley Cup from store to store because he wanted people to get to see it. Then he's out on the street letting, you know, the kids uh, see it and touch it. And that is what he really is like. But here we go. How we, how we get on this tangent? I don't know. I know how. I asked you about Peter Jennings. That's how. Well, I better ask you these last questions before we end the show because the next one's very important. And it is, who do you consider your role model? Who do I consider my role model? Um, everyone in my family has shaped my life and made me the person who I am. My cousin, Scott, who's sitting here with me, uh, designed my website and allowed me to branch into my speaking career. Um, my parents, my grandparents, my grandfather paternally who worked for Con Edison for 50-plus years, um, my dad's work ethic, who and my dad has owned his own business for 30-plus years, um, taught me a lot about the interpersonal skills that I've brought to the workplace, my mom's selflessness, and always putting my needs and the needs of others above hers, all my cousins, um, everybody who I hang out with, my older brother for never giving up on himself and always just allowing me to be his little brother, play football with him, European or American, my cousins who are helping professionals, um, and special education teachers whom I've helped along in their careers. My aunt, who was one of my first physical therapists. And everyone who has made me who I am. Professionally, I've already spoken about Jillian and Shannon Tiber Scalise over at um, Helen Keller Services for the Blind here in New York in Ronkonkoma. Um, Shannon was another person who gave me a professional opportunity as an equal. And it was, up until now, my last opportunity to be a social worker. Um, And that experience helped me through my transition to sight loss, 
while counseling others and seeing their strengths and abilities and how they handled the transition to that. So basically, everyone I meet, I've been in a position to hopefully inspire them as much as they've inspired me. My brother, um, he makes prosthetics and orthotics um, for a company out in Suffolk. My sister-in-law, who works uh, with individuals on the autism spectrum and has a different and unique set of patients, more unique set of patients than anybody I've ever met. My Uncle Doug and all my aunts and uncles for keeping their marriages together and raising beautiful children. Um, and the people who have made there are far too many to mention, but family is the most important thing to me. The people who uh, celebrate my accomplishments with me, the people who help me transcend bad bad days and make them better. And um, Dr. Karen Spencer is a role model over at Hofstra. Julie Yindra, who introduced us, is quickly becoming a professional role model and peer who I hope to emulate. But I hope well, to I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, you have a lot of great role models. And may I say, I appreciate so much you being on the show with us today. Thank you so much. Um, we appreciate it. We end every show, Michael, with a quote. And today that quote is, I am different, not less, said the great Temple Grandin. Michael, thank you again for being with us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. This is Joyce Bender, and I'm so looking forward to next month. You know why? It is Epilepsy Month. And we're starting off with my good friend, the CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA, Peggy Beam. Talk to you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.